Osiris. Hey everyone, it's Cam Hurt, host of the Best Show Ever podcast, and we have got a second season coming out very soon that I am very excited about. We've got some very cool special guests, including musical acts that we all love, like Karina Reichman, Daniel Donato, Jake Brownstein from Eggy, Rick and Peter from Goose, and many more. Tune in for new episodes dropping on Osiris Media March 5th on the Best Show Ever podcast. Hi, listeners. I want to tell you about a cause that I'm involved with at Heritage Radio Network. HRN is celebrating its 15th year, and to celebrate, we're deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Welcome to We Move Through Stormy Weather, a fish podcast where we compare and contrast songs and the evolution of their jamming styles throughout the band's career. Each episode will use a specific song as a lens to explore not only the jamming styles of different eras, but how the jams coming out of that specific track have evolved. My name is Ryan Storm, and today I am joined by Justin Bruce. Justin is a meteorologist in Las Vegas who first saw fish in the summer of 1999 after graduating high school. He's not a music theory guy, but loves talking about jams and the evolution of Fish's sound from tour to tour and year to year. Justin is also currently wrapping up a listening project where he reviews and ranks each show in 1999 and 2000, which I definitely recommend checking out. Still has lots of room in his heart to enjoy 3.0 Fish without qualification. Say hi, Justin. Hey there, Ryan. Thanks for having me on, dude. Yeah, no problem. Thank you so much for being the guest on my first episode. I'm so excited to get down uh, and start talking about jams. Well, judging by some of your tweets that I've seen over the months and over the years, I, I don't think there's a better person to argue the merits of like late 3.0 jamming styles than you. So I'm excited. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I'm uh, as you all find out by listening to this, I am a very big uh, 3.0 fan. Not to say that I dislike 1.0, um, but I am more of a person who enjoys when they touch on many different themes in a jam uh, and not a funk groove for 20 minutes. Um, <laughs> are you are you talking about 97 maybe a little bit and also <laughs> looking at the fall 99 sands <laughs> yeah okay that's that's fair that's fair but those are those are a special breed but anyway that's sand is another episode um today we're talking about chalk dust torture um debuted in the early 90s was on the picture of nectar um and each of us have picked our favorite version of the song you know as the theme will be, uh, Justin has picked a version from 1.0, and I've picked a version from 3.0. Uh, so, Justin, why don't you talk about what version you've picked? 
All right. Well, I had to go with the the obvious choice, a king of the hill, Camden, July 10th. 1999. I forget what volume of live fish it was, but I'm sure every fish fan had the crisp soundboard and has listened to this so many times that, you know, as I listened back in preparation for our chat, I was like, oh yeah, I do know every single second of this entire 15, 16 minute jam. But uh, yeah, early on in summer tour, you know, after a really, really great show in Virginia Beach on 7-8, in the summer of 99, uh, we, we go up to New Jersey, cross the river from Philadelphia, and uh, I believe it's the two spot of set one, and they just bust out uh, an anthemic uh, melody, Trey does. And even though it's short but sweet, with kind of the, the, the high point of the jam only lasting about three minutes, it's got to be some of the most lyrical, uh, kind of seems like it was pre-composed fish that I've ever heard. What do you think about the old chalk dust torture from seven ten ninety nine, Ryan? I'm curious. Well, so I, I I do enjoy this jam quite a lot. It uh, it's it's very reminiscent of uh, jams like the Went Gin or the Worcester Boogie On, where it's it's short, um, gets a lot done, super high energy, big peak. Um, but I think it's it's not the king of the hill. Um, I believe that um, the Baker's Dozen chalk dust torture. The monster 24-minute version from July 28, 2017, just when you thought they couldn't top the jamming from uh, Jamfield and Powder Night, they come out with this absolute monster. And um, it is not only my favorite Chalk Dust Torture, it is my favorite jam from the Baker's Dozen, the year wow. 3.0 and also ever. Re- ever? Ever. This is my favorite fish jam right here. That's high praise. You know, it's interesting it because as I as I listen uh, back to uh, the chalk dust torture from the Baker's dozen that you selected, uh, I I actually kind of got some fall uh, two thousand vibes in that. You know, like in late one point late one fish was kind of approaching jamming uh, in a more democratic style. Trey didn't want to be the lead supposedly, so it was kind of more of a linear jam uh, where you rely on on kind of rhythmic grooves and in theory you know in late 2000 equal contributions from all four members and that was actually the vibe that i got uh, as i re-listened to the baker's dozen chalk dust but yeah i don't want to you know steal any of your your turf um i suppose maybe (laughs) that 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 is that is part of why I love this jam so much, the the democratic approach to the jamming. That's why I love uh, the last few years so much, because they've really, since 2017, like hit such a good stride with uh, improvisation. And even though, you know, 2019 people had their complaints about jams not going very long, if you look at the quality of improvisation, it is absolutely off the charts. Like, yes, questionable set list decisions, not as long jams, but the when the improvisation hit, phenomenal all four of them working together one mind so good and, um, and it's still super exciting to listen to i oh, because yeah. of because of my interesting work and sleep schedule i'm not catching a lot of shows live on the stream but i will uh, wake up a couple hours after the shows end and listen to them like super early in the morning so it's almost like listening to them live and like you know i've got to hear uh, last night's fish show first thing in the morning because they are still playing some great jams and oh, yeah. you know you just gotta gotta sort of take it in yourself so even if they have 
I don't want to say settled into like a more democratic style. Uh, like it's, it's so engaging and there's just, uh, we're, we're still super lucky that when there's not a worldwide pandemic uh, that we get to hear all of this great music, but it is a pretty yes. big contrast from what they were up to in late 1.0 in 1999. Like if we go back and, and talk a little bit about the Camden chalk dust, uh, like let's be honest, Trey is kind of in control of where this jam is going. And ultimately he is responsible for like building uh, that, that big anthemic melody uh, that I mentioned, which ranges the, the sweet spot is from about eight fifty five to 1155 uh, in the, in the jam. Uh, but there are a couple of sections that I wanted to highlight, including right out of uh, sort of the actual uh, proper structure of the song, uh, from about 4.50 to 6.15 as they leave Chalk Dust Torture, Trey and Mike hit this repetitive pattern, mm-hmm. uh, and Paige eventually kind of jumps on that idea. Uh, and I love it, when they do that. It, yeah, and, and they do it often in late 1.0, and probably across all eras, but I found myself hearing that a lot, uh, like getting into some of the bigger jams of Summer 99, and I sort of uh, came up with the analogy that it was like loading a spring. It was like they were just sort of almost vamping and just waiting for a big idea to hit, uh, but you can feel like the momentum starting to gather in that first section that I mentioned, and that's what allows them to launch into a deeper jam. I do want to. Um, I'm not 100% sure, but was this one of the first uh, chalk dust to really go outside the box? Um, I'm not as familiar with uh, the early to mid uh, 90s, but I don't believe there were too many uh, big versions of this song beyond Type One Shredfests. Um, yeah, and and, and even aside from you know this version on 71099, uh, yeah, not a lot got super duper out there you're right it was more of a more of a shred fest and i'm looking at the jam chart and looking at the lengths and everything is uh, pretty constrained you know the chalk dust jam is about 14 or 15 minutes uh, and that is the longest chalk dust i guess in 1997 in the summer in dallas uh, they uh, had a second drummer and it, it went almost 16 minutes but you're right this was basically a a, a shredding tool uh, throughout most of 1.0 and even after this jam for the rest yeah. of late 1.0 uh, didn't really get too far out there. 
Yeah, so say what you will about the tempo being slower and Trey not playing as many notes now. The jamming out of this song has gotten better, the, the improv. Uh, it's, now, I, it's now one of their most reliable jam vehicles, I think, uh, now. Well, and it, like, it you know, certainly gives, gives them room to roam. I mean, you're the music expert. Uh, like, I don't even know what, what key Chalk Dust Torture is in or what, so, what key the yeah. jam is in. It's in, uh, it's in E. So uh, the, the first jam is in E minor. Um, but yeah, I, I want to I now talk a little bit about my version. So I believe um, at set break, Trey planned like huge Chalk Dust. Because they open the second set with Have Mercy, and that's like, get everyone grooving. And then if you listen to the end of Have Mercy, everyone's kind of like chilling. And then Trey absolutely tears into the Chalk Dust riff. Um, and if you watch the video, he's like, like he's ready. Um, the energy in the building just go through the roof. Um, my parents were at this show, and they said it was insane. Um, and then also... Um, uh, Trey, um, his solo, he only solos for about a minute and then jumps right back into the chorus to get to the second jam because he just he couldn't wait uh, to take this thing out, um, which I love. It's just uh, the, the composed section of the song is just so fiery and high energy. Uh, and you can tell they're just they're ready. They're having a great time. And then that whole energy and feeling just carries over to all 25 minutes of this amazing journey. Um, it's, it's just, and then when it starts, um, all four of them are like, there's a 20 second period where they're kind of in limbo, like not sure where they're going to go. Um, Fishman is playing these like repeated fills that are really cool. I'm going to, I'm going to play, let's play uh, a clip of the beginning of the second jam of this chalk dust. You heard that drumming. Pretty, pretty insane. That's why he's my favorite drummer of all time. Um, but, yeah, I just, this, this jam is just phenomenal. There, uh, there's a key, two key changes in it. Um, and it ends in, as I'm sure you all know who have heard this, an absolutely beautiful uh, Harry Hood-esque peak, which never fails to deliver. And that's so interesting um, because I had listened to it a couple of times recently and I made a note, big payoff around 23 minutes from Trey. You know, he finally gets out in the open fish who feels like a, a tastefully restrained for a lot of the Baker's dozen chalk dust, or at least the first half, like he lets loose. I mean, he's, he's going wild. 
but I had noted that, yeah, it's got a big sort of uh, upbeat payoff like a Harry Hood jam. So that's good. I feel yeah. uh, I feel confident in my 3.0 jamming analysis after hearing you. <laughs> well, yeah, they, they were they were, they were working on the same chord progression as a hood jam at the end there, just a D to a G. Um, there wasn't the A, which is in a hood jam, but it was it was pretty close. And my note for I have a, like a breakdown of this jam, and my note for 22 minutes and 57 seconds is. Ah, big white light peak. This is basically hood now, right? A lot of some of my notes are actual uh, uh, points about the jam, and some of them are just me freaking out about things that are happening. <laughs> it's always it's really a little challenging to, to to try to put music, uh, amazing yes. improvisation, into into words. As someone who's written a lot of reviews of fish shows, you have to be careful yeah. that you don't just say, oh, it sizzles or yeah, you know, triumphant. Uh, so it's nice to have your sort of musical expertise to put a little, little, yeah. uh, I don't know, substance into of your course. descriptions. Of course. So I know, I know the, the reason a lot of people will probably be listening to this is because I am uh, daring to challenge uh, the Camden chalk dust. Um, I got into an argument on Twitter about this a little while ago. Um, and people were up in arms that I, I thought the Baker's Dozen Chalk Dust was better. And I'm here to tell you all why. Because it's not only is it 10 minutes longer, I think it packs so much more improvisation into it. Like, that's why the Went Gin might be the most hype bathtub gin ever, but I don't think it's the best improvisationally. So there's, there's no, that's, th that's, I think that's interesting because, you know, you are talking about, yeah, you're, you're talking about length, uh, and, but they, they are able to do uh, a couple different things in this chalk dust, uh, jam. Uh, to me, it almost comes across as like two pieces, uh, two, two jams. And then there's like an inflection point around like 14 minutes, which you had kind of mentioned when you tossed to that clip with Fishman. Mm -hmm drumming so it, it is interesting sometimes in these longer more epic 3.0 jams how it does become like a few different like pieces of big music but that was always the case or almost always the case even if you go back to like late late 1.0 uh, sometimes when you'd have these big jams uh, like they would end up being like you know 10 minutes of kind of shredding and then five minutes of more introspection and then maybe five or right. 10 minutes of like spacey exploration. So uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with a couple different like big pieces of a jam coming together to create this 25 minute behemoth. And yes. obviously people love it. Yeah. Well, yeah. Then, then you get into that where people will be like, Oh, then it should be chalk dust jam 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 on the set list it's different <laughs> yeah. i had someone argue about that about the uh the, the baker's dozen sense that it was sense no men in no man's land jam i was like no that's like well, also the yeah. Wolfman's party time nonsense. Right. But <laughs> we, yeah we don't need to we don't need to uh, to pick pick nits all we don't need to open up that rabbit hole <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I, well, that is something that's a little tougher to do when you go back to these more compact uh, late 1.0 jams uh, like, you know, 710.99. We talked about how as they get out of Choctaw's proper, it feels like they're kind of loading a spring waiting for inspiration to strike. But then inspiration definitely does strike right around uh, the 850 mark. Trey harnesses this melody on a dime. And it's hard to believe that he didn't like have something like this in his back pocket, because if he improvised this on the spot and composed this in real time, what he's doing from 850, like up to 945 is pretty stunning. And also what 
is pretty impressive to me in this era of fish because Trey is still kind of the clear cut leader. Mike and Paige are really good at sort of slipping into those more complementary roles. And for Mike, it's playing like a uh, very grand, almost movie soundtrack-esque uh, like mm. bass patterns uh, that build sort of the tension. Uh, and with Paige, she's just a genius when it comes to, you know, comping uh, around what Trey's uh, doing melody-wise on the piano. So it is really impressive how it just like pops out of nowhere, almost this, this big theme in this chalk dust. I think we should play a clip of that. So let's play a clip of that. It's a fantastic melody. And uh, going off what you said about Paige uh, being so good at complimenting what Trey is doing, that's one of my favorite parts of the Baker's Dozen Chalk Dust as well. Not only on the piano, but the clav, the Wurlitzer, the Rhodes, the synth. And for, for everyone that doesn't know the difference between the Wurlitzer and the Rhodes, they're both kind of electric pianos. Uh, the Wurlitzer is the, like, the flatter and funkier sound, and the Rhodes is more full... Um, not in this jam, but in 2018 and 2019, Paige started using a much uh, heavier phaser uh, sound on the Rhodes, which I love, and it's much easier to tell the difference. Um, but here, it's it's the Rhodes more full-bodied and more round-sounding, I guess, and the Wurlitzer's flatter. That's the difference for me. But Paige is so good in this jam at, at using like all the different parts of his arsenal to compliment what trey is doing and trey, even though trey is still 
definitely like the leader of the band and still definitely drives a lot of the improvisation. Um, in this jam, you can really tell how each of the four members um, are so comfortable, like bringing their own ideas out. And there's, there's one part um, in the middle where Fishman um, starts driving into like a funky percussive groove for a bit um, out of, I think it's, it's right after uh, the first peak of the band of the uh, yeah, it's right after the first peak of the jam around uh, 14 minutes or so. Um, and uh, Fishman starts on the cowbell. Uh, it's just fantastic groove there that led by Fishman. And I, I don't think in uh, the late nineties, you were really seeing a lot of that. Now you, you do, or you don't think I, I, I don't think like Fishman was leading a lot of the improvisation, not to say that he wasn't good because he was still phenomenal, but I think he was, he wasn't uh, suggesting new ideas and leading as much as he does now. Yeah. And, and, and maybe, you know, that's true. Although I will say that a lot of, a lot of the big jams of late 1.0 fish, does play a big role, uh, but it's often in the form of, yeah, of course. I mean, you know, that's not a crazy thing to say, but I feel like often he is kind of dictating the pace of, of, of the jam. And perhaps if things are dragging a little bit, he and Mike will push on the accelerator. And that's like the most surefire way in late 1.0 to, to, to amp the energy up is for fish and for Mike to kind of go from like 65 miles per hour to like 70, 75 miles per hour so yeah. i see what you're saying and i definitely agree about the midpoint of the baker's dozen chalk dust i love how as trey is peeking at the end of the baker's dozen chalk dust fish finally like sheds whatever restraint he's been carrying and is just kind of going you know gonzo or, or bonzo yeah. as it were and he is just letting loose at the end of the gym and that really kind of helps uh, pull Trey's peak even sort of farther up into the ethos or the stratosphere. Yeah. 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 It's, it's absolutely phenomenal. Um, and I, I definitely agree like his symbol work and just his fills and everything just so, so phenomenal during the end of that jam. Um, he definitely is the driving force. Um, and speaking of the end of that jam, um, just now I'd like to call attention to my, my one complaint about this jam is that at the end when they slide down to that low note that they didn't go back into chalk dust? That that's my one complaint about my favorite fish jam. <laughs> which which is so funny because if anything, as of late in 3.0, you know, Trey is always bending over backwards to wrap a song up and like get yeah. that last verse in. Yeah, so yeah. kind of doing the opposite well, yeah. here. Well, yeah, you can see in the two uh, the two fall 2018 chalk dust that went out there, the Albany and Vegas ones, where he played the ending of the song, went into the second jam, and then went back to the ending of the song. Those are both also very underrated jams, both those around 15 minutes. Um, they've got some great improv in them. I'm, I'm partial to the Vegas one. Um, but yeah, th- those are those are good. Uh, if you haven't listened to them in a while, you definitely should. Um and I, I think if you look at if you look at a lot of the the big uh, chalk dust from recent years, like you've got, I mean, starting with kind of uh, Dick's twenty twelve, and then um, also like Randall's twenty fourteen, uh, Blossom twenty fifteen, 
I'm definitely missing some important ones, but those are just the, the ones off the top of my head right now. Um, oh, uh, Gorge 2018, um, which is kind of, I think Gorge 2018 is kind of um, a discount version of the Baker's Dozen one. Um, it does a lot of the same stuff, uh, not as well. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I, I think we're we're very spoiled by the amount of crazy good improvisational versions that we're getting. Yeah, well, and I wanted to give some kudos to the uh, yeah to that Randall's Island 2014 chalk dust because we agreed to listen to a couple uh, additional chalk dust just to you know give some context. And I feel like in Randall's they're kind of chasing ideas and and melodies yeah. more, whereas to my ears, the first half of the Baker's Dozen chalk dust, which I like, it's great. But to me, it almost feels like they've agreed to like play in a in a style, and they're sort of sticking in their box for the first half of the Baker's Dozen Chalk Dust. Whereas with Randall's, it's like there are fewer rules, and we're kind of just going where the muse takes us. So I was impressed at how many melodies they hit on in the Randall's Chalk Dust. That even though I hadn't heard it for a couple of years, I was like coming along, like, oh, I remember this. Oh, I remember this. So that's a really, 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 really good one too. Yeah, for sure. It's that's one of I I think the the word I use to describe that jam is gorgeous. It's very there's a lot of uh, melodic jamming. It's very very pretty, and I think that that what you were talking about is a good way to characterize a lot of 2014 jamming. Cause that was the year where Trey really took a step back and was playing like, I mean he did that in 1997 too, but in 3.0 terms, uh, to take a step back and he was playing a lot more rhythm guitar. Um, and jams, which you can really hear throughout the summer. Yeah, totally agree. And even in summer 15, which is probably my favorite tour of 3.0, the amount of listening that Trey and Paige and Mike are doing to each other and the melodies that they're bouncing back and forth, like on a dime uh, yeah. is really impressive. So I totally agree with that. There's one more little bullet point I wanted to mention going back uh, to the olden days of 1999, just because the Camden Chalk Dust is alive. just, <laughs> you missed <laughs> out. I was, uh, I was around, but I was not at this show. I just didn't, yeah, didn't well, have it together. I, no, at that point I was, I was born a week after one or a month after 1.0 ended. So that's, Oh, wow. Were you the uh, three-year-old crawling around in the mud at Coventry then? No, I was the 11-year-old uh, at a show with my dad in uh, 2012. He took me to uh, the Blossom show in June 2012. Oh, that's was... that's so awesome! It's it's and it's that so was much the fun. yeah that was the show where they brought 10 people on stage to do the meat stick dance at the end of uh, set one. So that was that was a really fun experience for my first See, show. I feel like you could be talking about 1999 all over again. <laughs> with with all the uh, all the meat stick uh dancing and shenanigans and yeah. trying oh, well, to uh, break world records yeah that was very much listening back to my first show it's very it very much has uh kind of an old school vibe to it uh like there aren't any crazy long jams but there's a lot of like goofiness a lot of teasing like um there's the tweezer has another brick in the another brick in the wall under pressure and meat stick teases like the antelope is loaded with meat stick teases and under pressure teases. It's just, it's really fun to listen to. Um, but yeah, that anyway. And that's always a, a sign that the band is, 
is having fun when you're getting teases all over the place. But yeah. I wanted to play I wanted to play one more little stretch here of this uh, 1999 chalk dust, and that's from about 10:05 to 11:55 when Trey hits this huge, uh, huge release. Uh, the crowd goes insane. Trey is just soaring on top of the rest of the band, which is far less democratic than what they would evolve to for the rest of 1.0 and certainly across 3.0. But the fact that Trey is at the forefront, you know, this is the notable kind of jamming style of summer 99. And it just sounds so, so good. I mean, that whole three minute section, but specifically this section that I mentioned to me, I mean, this is quintessential fish. This is up there with like 11, 17, 97, the ghost, where mm. it's a jam that it's just ingrained into my DNA every single note. Yeah, see, I, I, I've, got a, I've, I've got a fair amount of jams like that. Not as many 1.0, because believe it or not, I didn't hear, I didn't purposely listen to any 1.0 until, um, I want to say, late 2017. Um, I was so just after very, the Baker's Dozen. It was it. I don't think it was the fault of the Baker's Dozen. It was just that's when I really started to like. I mean, I was very much down the rabbit hole of Fish at that point, and it, they were like only what I was listening to. But I was only listening to 3.0. And then one of my friends was like, "Hey, you should listen to the Island Tour." And I was like, "What's the Island Tour?" He was like, "It's in 1998." And I was like, "Oh, okay." And I went and listened to the whole island tour, and I was like, whoa, what have I been missing out on? <laughs> well, that's the thing with fish is that there's certainly no shortage of like old material to unearth. Oh, yeah. And that's one of the reasons that I wanted to hear all the shows in 99 and 2000 is those were the first years that I saw live fish. But I didn't have, you know, a, a, a dad who was into the band or really even any other friends who were into the band. So I was just sort of figuring out organically as I went along. So I hadn't heard the vast majority of these 99 and 2000 shows just because right. back then it's like once you downloaded a show and burnt it to a CD. I just listened to like a handful of shows over and over and over again. Unlike now where you just pull it up on your phone and you can crank through a whole tour over the course of a couple of weeks if you're so inclined. Right. Well, yeah, that's, I mean, similar to how I got into fish because when I got into fish, it was 2011. I didn't like live fish plus wasn't a thing yet. And, um, I didn't know about like relisten or fish show D or fish tracks or whatever the websites were at the time. So my dad saw a couple of shows in the nineties. His first one was spectrum 92 in Toronto. Um, and he went to super Bowl in 2011. He came home, he gave me the MP3 downloads on my iPod. And I remember lying down in my bed, putting in my headphones, hitting shuffle and Reba coming on. And that super Bowl Reba hooked me immediately. I was like, this is amazing. So that was when I was in grade five, I believe. Um, and, uh, I mean, he took me to my first show the following year. That's actually, it's a funny story. We, um, My mom had said that we got him uh, a ticket to go see that show for Father's Day. It was like two weeks before. And, uh, like, the night before, we put the one ticket in an envelope and sealed it. And then the next morning at breakfast... He opened it, and there were two tickets in there. And and I was like, what's going on? And they were like, you're going. And I freaked out. Um, and uh, that's, I mean, happy Father's Day to me <laughs> at, yeah, age, at age 12. 
Oh, um, man, that's 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 really cool. And you are a, a lucky a lucky guy to have you know someone yeah. so close to you, sort of getting you into the band. And obviously, you're super into them now. So that's that's really fun. Super. Yeah, I've I've far surpassed my dad's level of uh, fish nerdy nerd nerdery. I don't know how to what the right <laughs> word for that is geekery. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, we're we we've got the geekery covered on uh, in our specific corner of of online fish for sure. Yes, definitely, definitely. Um, anyway, back to the the topic at hand, which is definitely going to be a trend on this series of me getting sidetracked by other fish related topics. Because if you didn't know already, this is my favorite thing to talk about. <laughs> um, but so back to the baker's dozen chalk dust. Um, I do, I do want to, I don't think we've played a clip of the peak yet, and I just want to play um, the first peak. So there, there are three distinct peak licks uh, that Trey plays here. Uh, the first one comes just after the 20-minute mark. Um, and, the, like, you can hear when, he's, like, when he starts playing that, like, the band and the crowd knows, like, we've arrived. This is, this is it right here. Um, and so let, let's play a clip of that first peak lick. So you hear that, and then Trey goes back down a little bit, um, starts looping a couple of notes, and then builds back again. Um, and that, that, that's when they kind of, at around 22 minutes, that's when they get into the, the hood uh, progression, because they were already in the key of D. Um, but at around 22 minutes, they start doing the D to G progression, which is the hood jam. Um, and that, that that's just... That, I mean, it's obviously my favorite part of the jam, and not to discount the first 20 minutes, but it's far and away the best part of the jam. It's just absolute pure joy. Uh, every time I listen to it, it just makes me so happy, and I wish I could have been in the building. I wish. Were you able to catch any of the Baker's Dozen shows? My dirty fish secret is... And I'm out in Las Vegas, so I'm on the wrong side of the, of the U.S. now, and I know you're up You get Halloween, though. Yeah, well, I got. I should be getting amped up for Halloween, a Halloween run. It's in every other year here in Vegas. I know, uh, but Don't alas, alas, we are not. But my dirty little fish secret is I have never seen a show at MSG. Me neither. So my problem is um, I've only seen seven shows um, because I go. I've been going to summer camp since two thousand nine. So every summer I am not. I'm I'm up in the middle of the woods from mid June to mid August, so I don't get to see summer shows. Um, 
so that's why I like uh, I saw and, and the shows that I've seen haven't been that close together. So I saw Blossom twenty twelve, and then I saw I'll never forgive this the the one dud show of fall twenty thirteen. I was at the Rochester show. I'm I'm very sad about that because that's one of the best tours of three But like I mean the show was awesome, but in in the context of the rest of the tour. Um, and then Wrigley 2016 and Rosemont 2018 and then Toronto 2019. It's funny that four out of my seven shows have been in Chicago and I live in Toronto. Well, here you go where you got to go, right? Yeah, exactly. The, yeah, the Rosemont one was good in, in 2018. I wasn't at the first night, which obviously since I missed the first night, it was the best night of the run. Um, but, uh, I had a midterm on the Friday night, um, my dad came and picked me up from university after my midterm. We drove home, flew to Chicago the next morning, saw the two shows, woke up four hours after the show ended, flew back to Toronto, and I was back at school for my afternoon class. That was impressive. My impressive weekends. commitments. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's part of the uh, part of the the challenge of fish is trying to squeeze it into uh, to the rest of your life. Since yeah, we can't all just give it all up and. And follow them around. Uh, yeah, at least not every. What, at least not everybody. Yeah. What's cool also is that my my thirteen year old little brother has also seen seven shows. Um, so my parents are kind of the best. Just disclaimer here. Uh, they took him to his first <laughs> show at five, um, which is awesome. And uh, my mom says she has never felt like a better parent than at a fish show because every single person is like, "Whoa, you brought your kid. That's the best." My dad, like See, my I dad, had, would never bring me. <laughs> I had a newborn in the summer of 2015, and uh, we had a hometown show in Nashville, uh, just a mile or two away from our house, at a Sand Amphitheater, which was brand new. And I knew they had a big lawn because uh, I watched them build it. And I thought, oh, yeah. maybe, maybe we'll bring, maybe we'll bring the baby. And then I saw the Atlanta shows a couple days before. And was on the lawn for one of the shows and sort of surveyed the scene and thought, this is no place for a baby. So, <laughs> well, <laughs> my, you deprived your were... child. You deprived yeah, your child of a Mike second jam. I know he could have been he could have been the headiest infant at a Sunday yeah. theater. He could have been like I saw a Mike second jam in 20 like when I was an infant. That would have been that's a story. <laughs> something something for him to talk about in therapy when he's older. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, uh, I, anyway. I, wanted to, I wanted to get your take uh, on uh, another Chalk Dust that we had agreed to sort of listen to. Just because we've spanned the eras from 1.0 to 3.0, what did you think about the It version back in 2003? Uh, just across the board course. from you. I can't leave that guy out. Um, so the thing with the It Chalk Dust is... I'm not the biggest 2.0 fan. You kind of lose me after winter 03. And even then it's kind of a little bit iffy. Some of the jamming. Um, It's good. I think similar to a lot of jams, the it festival, it kind of uh, wastes a lot of its time. Um, So in, in it's 25 minutes, it doesn't do as much as I'd, I'd like it to. And I mean, Obviously, it's really easy to compare that to the Baker's Dozen one because they're basically the same length. And, like, 
yes, Trey plays more notes, and the ending of the It Shock Dust is at absolute breakneck speed. Um, but I just think the quality of the Baker's Dozen is so much better, and just as someone who, again, not the biggest fan of uh, the 2.0 jamming style um, as a whole. Um, like, I think there there are good moments in these jams, but I think something like like the Spack Piper from 04, I think there are around seven minutes of that jam that are worth listening to. And the rest are boring to me. That's just my take. Um, I may get a little bit crucified for it, but... <laughs> well, I, I will say it does... What's, it what's does your opinion on, that, when on you, the It Shocked Us? When you listen to, to the same song across different eras, it's easy for the differences to pop out. And first and foremost... Uh, Fish is a man possessed right out of the gate with this chalk dust. I listened uh, backwards. I did the Baker's Dozen, then Randall's, and then It. And it like yeah. caused me to jump in my seat a little bit how loudly he's playing and just how fast he's playing. Like Fishman is going hog wild right out yeah, of the gate. Yeah, you know what? I think uh, 2.0, Fishman and Mike, some of Fishman and Mike's best years, for sure. And I'm with you. That I could love be- winter... 03 tour it was the first tour that i that i had uh like every show from because that was the first tour i think fish.com started selling the mp3s yeah. Yeah. and so i'm a big fan of that tour but i'm i'm with you and and some my favorite part of 2.0 is uh that first week of the summer of 04 leading up to coventry uh, mike plays like a man possessed and it's not necessarily what they're playing it's more like how they're playing it uh and it's the same idea with this chalk dust like the ideas aren't necessarily there they're more like relying on instincts than chasing down melodies like they were back in 99 or like they would in the randall's version in 2014 um it's almost uh even though they don't stray that far from the chalk dust torture theme, you know, what they're playing doesn't really sound like chalk dust torture, but there are no, you know, anthemic melodies. It's more of like, uh, let's just kind of try to get out there and see what happens in a noisy way. Which I, I think that's, that's very emblematic of the 2.0 sound. Like let's make some noise and see what, like, you know, see if it's good, see what happens. Um, I think also, um, uh, I'll credit the the it shocked us before being before um, uh, Trey got like really really bad, um, which is obviously O four, which is why I'm surprised that uh, those August O four shows are your favorite because yes there there are some great moments but I think for the most part it's just you can you can hear the Trey just dying and I I. It's really hard to listen to that stuff for me, I think. Yeah, part, parts of it are certainly a mess, but now, you know, then it's interesting because you'll have like big, big, pretty good jams, but then they won't be able to play, you know, other songs. But I was referring uh, to that first summer leg, which I believe is like June. Oh, in June. In the 04, June ones. Okay, very different story. Before all the emotions kind of kicked right. in leading up to leading up to Coventry. But really, it's just, you know, it's almost furious. Uh, Mike and Fish's tone and, and pace in a lot of those uh, first leg of summer 04 jams. But some of that comes across Absolutely. in this It Festival chalk dust as well. Yeah, and I, I'm sure, um, I, I, I can't remember off the top of my head, but I'm pretty sure like the the super sped up ending of the It chalk dust was very Fishman driven, which would follow this trend. 
Right. And there's nothing wrong. Uh, and to me, a, a, listening to a lot of late 1.0, um, you know, there's nothing wrong or unsatisfying about kind of jams that need perhaps a little bit of guidance or direction and then fish stepping in and sort of making uh, that decision. And I think if you uh, listen to the all night set from Big Cypress, uh, that Mike and Fishman end up kind of being the stars of that night because it's such a long, obviously set uh, that it is almost like a preview of 2.0 and that it's uh, instinctual playing as opposed to just, you know, like mastering all the notes and execution. It's more instinct, but a lot of the jams that perhaps would get a little aimless, like Fish and Mike are the ones who kind of steer things in the right direction. And that also comes across at the end of this chalk dust from it in 2003, yeah. when you're right, they just start going hog wild and race to the finish. Yeah, I, I, I definitely agree with uh, what you're saying about, especially like the big Cypress comparison, because, you know, fall 1999, summer too, but mostly fall 1999, they were really getting into like the ambient groove jams where it would, um, Paige and Trey would be doing mostly textural work. Uh, so Paige would be on the roads and his uh, Yamaha CS60 synth, which is the one he uses for meat stick um, and is like those weird swell like the swells, like they're mm -hmm. so yeah, kind of the UFO um, type sounds almost. Yeah, so that was the those two keyboards were in heavy, heavy use uh, in Fall '99, and Trey on his keys and setting up the loops and whatever, and so you you end up um, the jams end up being driven by Fishman and Mike by the rhythm section, and that I mean that's one of the time like. You know, when I'm really in the mood for some groove, I'll listen to some Fall 99, like the the rally show, the the sand and the tweezer and. Uh, oh yeah, yeah that well and and yeah and and that started Fall tour and then picked up, I think even more in, in that separate winter tour and that winter 99 tour is really strong just because they're like uh, in fine tune form as they are heading toward big Cypress and climbing the mountain toward this pinnacle at uh, this, you know, biggest achievement of their career up until that point. Uh, but you're yeah. exactly right. It was more rhythmic and Mike and fish were kind of more responsible creatively uh, for where jams would, would head, or at least kind of pointing the ship in a certain direction since it wasn't all like you know, Trey, band leader, melody improviser, uh, which was the case sometimes, at least in summer of 99. Right. And I, I think um, one of the reasons why um, Chalk Dust didn't get jammed out as much, like besides the Camden version in the late 90s, is because they were very into like the deep, thick, slow grooves. Uh, and Chalk Dust was used more as like a, like a shred fest, like an energy an energy infusion into the show. And I think their improvisation at the time wasn't really suited to the speed of how the chalk dust jam starts. Um, because you, you can always find your way to the funk groove somewhere. But I think that was a song where they were like, this is where we're going to shred. And then, you know, we'll take these other songs where we can really dig into the funk groove and stuff. Um, for the big improv, but I think uh, that that's part of why they weren't uh, jamming it out as much um, because, you know, that's why I love the momentum that the first 
the beginning of every shock dust has at the, the jam because it's always got some nice speed. It's got some kick. Um, that, that's that's my theory, at least. Yeah, and and you know there is that like uh, big historic fish moment where they played on Letterman. I think was it ninety five or maybe ninety four. Ninety four and letter. And he Letterman himself requested that they play Chalk Dust Torture, uh, you know, off of picture and ne- picture of Nectar. And man, uh, they they nail it in like the four and a half minutes or whatever tight time frame. Yeah, they were given. So that is like I always associate Chalk Dust, especially yeah. that. Wait, late I don't remember. Did they did they play Julius on the twelve thirty ninety four uh, on Letterman or was that uh, in ninety five or? A different time because I know I know they were on it the day I they think it must have been a MSG. different time. Yeah, I, I don't think they had the horn section with them when they because uh, I know they had the horn section with them when they played Julius, um, but I don't believe it was that day. Yeah, but it's just funny that Chalk Dust kind of uh, for a lot of us is like was one of Fish's big coming out moments since it was like their big national yeah. late night TV. TV debut, which is a big deal. At least it was a big deal back in the '90s when people watched <laughs> network. When, TV when people watched, things that weren't stuff, as yeah. fragmented. We yeah, were, we exactly. weren't on YouTube or Twitch. Exactly. All, all the different, all the different platforms. There's so many. Um, but yeah, I, I'm interested to see. Like, uh, it's also the song. Um, you know, you you'll notice that of all the fish songs that Trey has played with Tab, you know. Chalk Dust hasn't made it over there um, because, again, kind of the groove, um, similar to why they wouldn't have played it in Fall 99. Sorry, you, you said Twitch, and then I was thinking Beacon Jams and Tab. Um, <laughs> but I think one of the reasons why it hasn't been played with them is because, again, uh, the Russ Lott and Tony Markellis groove machine um, isn't as well suited to the quicker-paced jams like that. Um, yeah, I think you're right. And I think that in some of these longer jammed out chalk dust that we highlighted uh, across 3.0, you know, that that's definitely not their intention anymore. And I think that with the Baker's Dozen, you're right, it probably was like a, hey, let's try to stretch out chalk dust and see what happens. So instead of Fishman going 90 miles per hour out the gate, it's more of a little bit of restraint on display and they're playing the long game, uh, you know, instead of just going wild and seeing how long they can sustain it, which maybe was an improvisational practice that they took from like the early in the mid nineties uh, that carried right. over into the late nineties for a little bit. Yeah. And I, I, it's also the, the speed is also a result of they're older now and Trey can't play as fast as when he was 30 and coked up. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's that's probably that, to, to put it mildly. There is some truth. There is some truth to that. But yeah, when when you compare, if you just back to back the the Camden ninety nine chalk dust and the Baker's dozen, you know twenty seventeen chalk dust, that's to me a big difference. It's like, oh yeah, here's a group of fifty five year olds versus you know a group of thirty to thirty five year olds. There's yeah whether we're talking about playing basketball or playing music or having a discussion, anything between your thirties and your fifties is going to be dramatically different. Of course. Of course. Um, yeah. And I, I, I just, I, I love the way that this song has opened up improvisationally. And I, I think it's because they realize, like, you know, we can't shred this like we used to. So 
why don't we use this as a springboard for crazy jams? And there we go. And I, I love that, you know, there are very few versions now that don't have some at least extra mustard or some jamming on them. Like if you listen to the versions from uh, summer 2019, uh, like the Blossom one uh, goes type two uh, a little bit, like the Camden one, the Banger one, I believe. They're all like, they're not like the six or seven minute shred fests of the 90s, but they've got, they're like 10 minutes long. They've got a little bit of out there jamming. And I, I think that's one of the cool things that they've been doing lately is where they're, they're taking songs, uh, like they're reinventing songs. So I think, not to talk about a different band here, but I, I, I like to think of, you know, the way um, the current incarnation of the Grateful Dead plays the Grateful Dead music, which is just way slower because they're older and can't play it at the same speed, uh, where you compare that to something like Llama, where instead of, um, you know, just playing Llama as itself, but slower, which granted they still do sometimes, they reinvented the song into like a funky style. So it's like fresh and it's you're not focused on, oh man, this was way faster in 1993. Yeah, you'll hear no slow llama slander from me. I always think it's pretty cool oh, when they good. do that. Good. Oh, yeah, I, I lo- I'm. I, love, I love slow llama. I also love the mid-speed llama that they accidentally played last fall uh, in Providence. Um, I, I was talking to someone about that a while ago, and we think it's um, they were gonna play it slow, but then Trey accidentally counted it off too fast, and so they it was like mid-speed. And I, I mean, I like the vibe of that one too. It's like fast, funky llama, fast, slow llama. That's, that's what that is. There, there you go. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think that kind of, uh, I think that kind of wraps up our discussion pretty nicely. We kind of touched on the song itself, uh, the history of it. Um, and you know, I don't think we were going to be able to convince each other of our, uh, that our, uh, version was better. I know I'm not, ever going to abandon Baker's Dozen one. Um, and I think you're very firmly in the Camden camp. Um, yeah. Well, and, and one of the, one of the interesting things to me is like, I would, I would say this Camden chalk dust is probably the most well-known uh, jam from summer 99. I was on definitely. an episode of HF pod years ago and we tried to like do a rundown of all the top summer jams just randomly to proceed a summer tour. And this actually uh, was the first place winner, even though like the sweet spot here is just like three minutes long. So it is pretty atypical to have something yeah. so short and concise and sweet kind of be on the forefront of everyone's mind. And I don't have any doubts that, you know, part of the appeal of this chalk dust is the fact that it was like a live fish release. And back then, like what they put out officially uh, would push things certainly out into the consciousness of most fish fans who weren't necessarily tape traders or super duper hardcore about it. So I think that's a big part of it. But I mean, it is, it is a great sweet little jam. It's not the best jam that Fish has ever played, but uh, that three minutes from eight fifty-five to eleven fifty-five, like I'll take that three minutes probably ten times out of ten. And I just want to say thank you so much uh, for being uh, my first guest on this. This is uh, it's been very enjoyable uh, talking to you about this. Uh, I love any opportunity where I can geek out about Fish with someone else, and uh, I'm really excited to be able to do this with 
different people and different jams. So um, I hope you guys uh, have enjoyed this episode. Um, Justin, I hope you come back sometime. <laughs> uh, we'll get another song. I know you. Oh yeah, I always, always. I know. I don't <laughs> want to spoil it now, but I know from. you had another one in mind that you wanted to do. Um, but we will be back uh, soon with another guest and another song. Um, but thank you so much. This is we move through stormy weather. Uh, I'm Ryan. Have a great day. Hey music fans, we wanted to let you know about Music on the Mountain, a show that will feature Anders Osborne, Dogs in a Pile, and Saints and Liars. This show will be directly after the Divided Sky Foundation's fun run at 2 p.m. on Saturday, May 18th at the base of Akimo Mountain in Ludlow, Vermont. The show is presented by The Phoenix, a national nonprofit organization offering support to those in recovery and anyone impacted by substance use to celebrate recovery. If you're running in the Divided Sky Foundation's fund run, you'll be automatically registered for the show. It's a family-friendly event, and all proceeds from ticket sales and other donations benefit the Divided Sky Foundation. Visit Music on the Mountain, that's musiconthemtn.com, for more info and to get tickets. That's musiconthemtn.com. Hope you enjoy. Hello, and welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts.